Give praise to the God who loved you before you were ever conceived. Give praise to the God who saw every fault, every failure, every mess up, and he came and he died for you anyway. Give that God praise this morning. God is good. He is good. We're going to do our declaration this morning and we're going to get into the Word of God. I'm excited for the Word. Are you excited for the Word of the Lord? Prepare your heart. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and He has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. Praise you, God. We praise you. Lord, we open ourselves up to you. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you. I pray your word is received by us this morning and that we allow it to transform our hearts and our souls and our lives. I pray, Lord, that our pastor this morning would just speak with authority and power and anointing, and he would have a liberty to do so in Jesus' name. And I pray that light would trump out the darkness this morning. And I pray hearts and lives feel free in Christ Jesus, and that these people would know that you love them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. So good to be with you here today, and uh, we are so sorry that we had to cancel the water baptism due to the part not coming in, the mails, and the deliveries even to the places of business have been very um, um, held up due to the virus. Sometimes it takes four to six weeks, they're saying, to get parts in. We're doing everything we can to get it. We understand the importance of water baptism but we also need to understand the importance of having water baptism to where we have a group doing it together. It needs to be to where there's an outward expression of the inward work. And a lot of times people want to just go out and get baptized in a river by themselves. So that's not really a testimony. Your testimony is to do it in front of people. Amen. And that's why it's so important to have organized baptisms. John the Baptist, when he baptized down on the river, that all the people gathered and watched as the saints would come and line up and be baptized. And that's what we're about. And we're going to get it fixed as soon as we possibly can. We do apologize for that. I heard something that just saddened my heart this week. I, I didn't really realize it, but I heard a story about Bud Middleton. Uh, poor old Bud. They said when he was born, he was kind of homely and not a very pretty baby. And, you know, nothing's really changed there, but... Uh, uh, poor Bud, he had a rough life being picked on because of that, and, you know, and um, they said that, you know, he grew up all the way up to around four years old, and for four solid years, his mother kept telling him, saying, Bud, whatever you do, don't open that cellar door. Bud, whatever you do, don't open that cellar door. 
He heard that for up until he was about four years old, and finally one day he got courage. He opened the cellar door and he said, oh, I've seen things that I've never seen before in my life. I've seen trees and light and houses. I've seen, I've seen dogs and cats. I've seen, poor bud. Now some of you ain't getting it yet. Poor bud was locked in the cellar until he was four years old. Bud, we love you. We pray for you, bud. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, uh, is a very uh, wonderful, unique passage of Scripture. I preached a, a whole series just on this one Scripture, and I'm not going to try to go in that direction, but the Lord's just kind of stirred me. I'd have to admit to you, this has been a strange week. Been studying and just preparing, and I thought I had my sermon, and the I just, as you go over it, it just wasn't right. It just didn't fit. And then I began to prepare another one and got it almost completed. And I'd go over it and it just didn't seem right. And I said, now, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but you're having me prepare these things. And, and so uh, just, just over the last few hours, the Lord began to stir my spirit and sometime on Saturday. And I began to just reflect upon him and just relax and say, God, am I even going to get to preach Sunday morning? Because there's been times when those kinds of things has happened when I got up and the spirit of the Lord just took over and I wasn't able to preach and he just, you know, that was the reason why I couldn't zone in or tune in. And then right here at the last minute, the Lord just began to disturb my spirit on this text. Song of Solomon chapter one, verse two says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for thy love is better than wine. I love that passage of scripture, don't you? You know, we Pentecostals, we have what we call a colorful history. Our heritage is full of spicy stories, overwhelming testimony, and exciting events. Oftentimes, we Pentecostals have experienced things that cannot be explained or communicated because they are just simply unexplainable. There are times when no human expression or no words can be found in our vocabulary that can explain what we have felt and what we've experienced simply because they're supernatural in nature. I don't know if you've ever had a supernatural occurrence or not, but I've had many of them. And there's times when you just try to testify of them and you don't even have the words to explain of how you feel or what's taking place because I want to tell you sometimes God is unexplainable. How many knows what I'm talking about? If you've had those kind of events or those kinds of moves in your life, would you just raise your hand here this morning? Of course we've had those kinds of moments when God just come down unexpectedly and just turned us inside out upside down. But it's because of these types of events and experiences that Pentecostal churches in the past have become now the church from the wrong side of the track until now a church that is respected and revered and sought out. Matter of fact, what once was despised and mocked and ridiculed, a ridicule movement has now become a movement that is recognized and, uh, and accepted around the world. Right now, as I speak, Pentecostalism has gained uh, world prominence. There's over 250 to 300 estimated uh, Pentecostals in the world. Can you give the Lord praise for that? 
what once was despised and rejected has now become a common thing in our time. Matter of fact, however, there are two things that I'm alarmed about, about what I call this modern day Pentecostalism. Number one, it seems that we've moved away from our heritage and we have forgotten where we have come from and what it was that caused us to exist and what it was that caused us to become fruitful. Number two, I am alarmed that even though I think diversity is good because you grow in the context of diversity, yet I'm afraid that we are making a lot of times compromises in our faith to where we are losing our identity to try to satisfy the different people groups and the different religious groups that's coming into the body of Christ. The very experiences, the very events, the very services that marked us as Pentecostal is not only being toned down in a lot of places, but in some circles, churches are reacting with embarrassment and even shame of what takes place within a Pentecostal meeting. Sometimes we see churches even apologetic before the criticism of the evangelical church and others due to the spirited worship and the spirited services that we have. Matter of fact, I've been caught up in that myself as a young man. I've told this story over and over and I want to tell it again, but there was a woman that I was working on to get saved at Gates River Company when when I was a real young man and I worked very hard at trying to get her saved. She was not a believer. She did attend the Catholic Church, but she never claimed to be really anything, but she did go to the Catholic Church and and her and her husband, her husband was more Catholic and and he was an old Navy man and she was from Germany. She was a German and, and, uh, and, and I worked with her and I worked with her and I worked with her and finally I talked her into going to a revival in our home church. That night on a Thursday night she came, she sat in the back and when I walked in I was so happy and immediately it hit me. Oh no, what happens if the little rock and ruby that I talk about a lot in my past, what happens if she's gonna get up and go through her Pentecostal fits? And I sat there and I was praying against her. Oh Lord, just keep little Ruby in her seat. Oh Lord, don't let that happen tonight. Oh Lord, I have worked so hard. I don't want them to be embarrassed. Oh God, I don't want them to think that we're weird. Oh God, I don't want them to be scared. Oh God, oh God. And I was laying all of that out before the Lord. And they started the music and all of a sudden I was keeping my eye on little Ruby and I seen that twitch. I said, oh no, Lord, now please, Lord, please, Lord. And I'd hear the moan, hmm. I'd say, oh Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. And I'm sitting there and I'm nervous and I'm apologetic for about what's about to take place. Nevertheless, little Ruby jumps out of the second row on the right-hand side where she always sat and woo, and down the aisle she went and she'd go down the aisle and she'd dance up here and then she'd dance around here. She'd go down the aisle and she'd come down and she'd dance and I'm sitting there with my head bowed thinking, oh Lord, what an embarrassment, what, what, what a problem this is and, and all of a sudden, you know, she'd go down and then she'd come out and fell out and she laid out in the floor And I thought, you know, they're probably thinking what kind of a church is that that woman's died up there and no one's even cared. You know, that's that's how I felt. And after the service was over, I didn't get to shake their hands because we were involved in something up at the front and they left. And and when I got to uh, 
Gates Rubber Company the next day on a Friday. I was going to apologize for the service. And I went up and I said, Rosemary, I'm so glad that you were there, you and your husband. And I said, I hope. And she said, oh, my goodness. We have never felt anything like that before in our lives. We wait, laid awake all night long talking about it. And she went on and on. The very thing that I was wanting to apologize about was the very thing that moved upon them and moved them to something that was fantastic in their lives. And I want to tell you, folks, we not, never need to apologize for the move of the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen? But we Pentecostals have attempted to tame the atmosphere of the church to make Pentecostalism more palatable to the mainstream American culture. It's like we don't want to get too radical because we don't want to scare anybody off. We don't want to become two-spirited because people don't understand it and it will become something that will make them feel uncomfortable. But when we do this, this kind of worship is really not real because Pentecostal worship shouldn't be something that we can turn on or turn off. It ought to be who we are and a reaction to the Holy Spirit of God as he moves upon us and through us. And so much of the time, we've not learned how to embrace the tension between the discipline of the Spirit and the spontaneity of worship. There's one thing for sure, and that is this. If we lose our passion, we have little to offer the mainstream church or the unchurch. It is our passion that has marked us unique. It is our love for God fervently celebrated in our spirited worship that has been our mainstay. And if we lose our passion, we lose the ability to ignite the flames of renewal in the heart of a mediocre society. The only hope for America is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? It is our joy in the atmosphere celebrated that's reflected in the Old Testament feast days that has attracted hurting, joyless people into a community of love and acceptance where they can be transformed by the power of God. We must not give that up as a church. A concern to those of us that has roots in what I call the classical Pentecostal movement is this fact, that much of the growth today is what is known as the newer expressions of Pentecost. The main, uh, the mainline Pentecostal churches of today have now in some cases allowed a Pentecostal experience to be contextualized into their program and practices, but they only will embrace part or go so far. They create a watered down version, a form without force, and they go to they go through the motions without any power. And what they do is they light what we call a strange fire. But what I don't understand is why that in many cases the Pentecostal movement has sought a more evangelical posture. Why is it that we're wanting to turn like them instead of turning them like us? Can I have an amen? It has traded, we have traded fervency for acceptance to gain the mainstream evangelical groups. And I want to tell you, we, te we toned down our services in many occasions. We, we, in many occasions, we toned, toned down our passion. We compromise our belief. We quench our experiences, all for the sake to find acceptance with the outside church world, and we end up winning nobody to the Lord. Can I tell you, the churches out there that are dying are wanting someone to leave the way. They're wanting a catalyst. They're wanting something real. And the unchurch is certainly wanting something real. We cannot tone down in order to gain. We got to rev it up. Can I have an amen? If you believe that, praise the Lord with me here in this building. Oh, I'll preach here in a minute if you'll let me. 
It's like what one church leader of a non-Pentecostal organization said. He said, with dismay, as we move to be more like you Pentecostals, you seem to be attempting to move more like us mainline evangelicals in America. If we Pentecostals lose touch with our original experiences, we will miss the destiny which God has called us to. We cannot know who we are, or we cannot know where we are going unless we know who we are, where we've been, and what God has called us to do. And let me stop right here without apology and say that the Palace of Praise on 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard is Pentecostal that we are tongue talkers, we're pew walkers, we're aisle dancers, we're altar prayers, and we are congregational shouters. If you don't like it, you're in the wrong church because we're not gonna tone it down for anybody. We are who we are, and we're gonna dance, we're gonna shout, we're gonna praise, we're gonna lift hands, we're gonna clap hands, we're gonna dance, we're gonna fall out of the spirit, we're gonna speak in tongues, we're gonna have the gifts of the spirit. We are going to be Pentecostal. Hallelujah. I think you can, let's just stand and worship the Lord a minute. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Ha. Huh. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ooh, magnifying church. Just worshiping moment. This is what it's about. This is who we are. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. You may be seated if you can. I tell you, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. I try to go slow. I'm trying to stay to the original thoughts of what the Lord had given me. I don't know why it is that many Pentecostal churches, when they begin to do their programs, they sit down and they try to figure out what to tone down and what not to do in order to somehow make people uncomfortable. And you know, I want to tell you that when we begin to try to take the, the steer of the church and say that we're the one that's going to organize it, we're the one that's going to plan it, we need to plan but I want to tell you, not at the expense of the spontaneity of the move of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? He's Lord, is he not? We don't need to tone down anything. We are who we are. I don't apologize just for what happened. Amen? Uh, it's evident that among the things scripted by God on the Pentecostal mantle is the call for us to be a catalyst for a worldwide revival which aims at the completion of the Great Commission. What God's wanting to do in this church is set a fire that will be, will, will be a catalyst to move people toward the harvest to where we win a, 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 a harvest for the coming of Jesus Christ. Pentecostalism is called to bring renewal to a whole body of Christ through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we Pentecostals is not to lose our passion, our ability to have spirited, lively worship. Can I have an Amen. In the early days of Pentecost, they saw themselves more of a movement than they did a denomination. And we Pentecostal people must continue to be a passionate movement. We need to continually preach with passion, sing with passion, witness with passion, uh, pray with passion, worship with passion, live and die in Christ with passion. That is our job. That is what we are to do. We are to, everything we do, we're to put all of our mind into it and be all that we can be and be expressive and explosive for the presence of God. We need to be a people who seek to avoid the lukewarm, status quo, mediocre society. I refuse to dry up and become a common individual that sets and just goes through a routine and sets and goes through the mechanics. I'm hungry for a move of God. I'm hungry for God to come down in the ways of his glory. I'm ready for God to bring a shakening like on the day of Pentecost. I'm ready for a, a transformation to take place in the minds and the hearts of God people where they're not always struggling and hanging on by a thread and just walking around powerless. I'm ready for the power of the Holy Spirit to take control. Amen. I'm going to get to preach all this. I think we're getting the jest already. 
We need to continue to have black and white definition of what is profitable for Christians and what's unprofitable for us to live by. Holiness needs to be the front line of the things we do and we need to flee anything that would try to attach us to this world. We need to abstain from the very appearance of evil and be spiritual people. We need not to walk in the flesh, but we need to walk in the spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of that flesh. We need to be rapture ready people with expectant eyes for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if we Pentecostal lose our passion that has both characterized us and driven us, then we will lose the dynamic that has made us fruitful and powerful and that has distinguished us among our society as spiritual people that people can call on in the time of crisis. People don't want to call upon a dead lethargic church or a sinful church or a partying, a partying church where they just play around. They want somebody that's spiritual. They may make fun of little grandma Rock and Ruby but when Christ is here, she's the first one that's sought out. She's the first one that's asked for. And I'm here to tell you today that God is speaking to my heart and he's telling the palace of praise, turn back to your roots. Turn back to your old day of experience. Turn back to the old days of anointing and walk therein. I'll bless you and I'll go before you. I will plant you and I will cause you to flourish where you're at, saith the Lord. Can I have an amen? The Song of Solomon is about passion. How many is passionate about their Lord? It's all about the love of Solomon for the maiden and the maiden's love for Solomon. As a matter of fact, the love of Solomon, the love he has for the maiden, and the love that the maiden has for him is symbolic here of how that Christ loves the church and how the church is supposed to love Christ back. Even as we need passionate marriage, we also need a passionate faith. Can I have an amen? Look with me at our text in Song of Solomon chapter one, verse two again. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for thy love is better than wine. This is the, one of the greatest messages on passion that there is. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Ooh, I do. Someone said marriage begins with a prince kissing an angel, ends up with a bald-headed man sitting in a room with a fat lady. We start off marriage thinking that we have the ideal mate. And for many, it isn't long before they feel like that they've gotten a raw deal and they're trying to look for a better deal. One woman declared, the only way I can get my husband's attention is to buy primetime advertisement on television during Monday night football. And the man replied and said, I'm requesting in my will that I get buried in Walmart parking lot. At least you'll visit my grave. <laughs> People begin their journey together with passion. But somewhere along the way, they begin to take one another for granted and they begin to cool off. The same it is with our faith. We start off blistering hot. And in many cases, we become popsicle cold. There are so many cold, lethargic churches. You walk in and it's just... Just a service. Knowing exactly what to expect. Everything's written out in script. You can follow along. You have your little pre-ordered service. A lot of times the very words of the message is printed out for you to read right along with the preacher. Every song is there. and Even though there's nothing wrong with that, but yet on the flip side of the coin, nothing ever changes. And I'm here to tell you, that ain't what we're going to do around here. That ain't what this thing's about. God has just put me through torment this week 
because he's wanting to put me back to the place to where I understand the importance that I don't have to understand what's going to happen on Sunday morning. I don't have to have a pre-planned idea of what's going on and me get up here and direct it and lead it in a certain way. That all I got to do is just obey him and let him be God and God will fall in the church. God will move in the church. God is the supreme order of the church. Can I have an amen? And when man tries to get in the way, he messes things up. But love here in our text is linked to wine, to an intoxicating state. Wine makes one dizzy and lightheaded and woozy and wonderful and feel wonderful and uninhibited. It sweeps one kind of off of their feet. It makes one feel warm inside like a burning fire. In Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came, those in Jerusalem supposed that the 120 were drunk. In order to, for them to think that, then there had to be some kind of a visible outward expression or action from the 120 that would make people think, hey, look at their actions. Their actions are declaring that these people are drunk people. But it was Peter that stood up and declared, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. In other words, Peter was saying, they haven't had time to get drunk on alcoholic beverages because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But neither does Peter deny a sense of them being intoxicated. Peter said, these are not drunk as you suppose. And I want you to go to the word suppose normally would have the translation to assume or to perceive or to presume. In other words, the normal translation in the English language, this scripture would have been quoted something like this. These are not drunk as you assume or as you think or as you perceive. But the word suppose in the original Greek text translates and it carries the thought that they were drunk with a different order or a different fashion. They weren't drunk with wine, but that did not mean that they weren't drunk. Peter quickly declares that the condition of the 120 was not due to them drinking wine, but it was due to them being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, this is, a, he said, this is the, that of the prophet Joel spoke about, that in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and upon my handmaidens, and upon my servants, I will pour out my spirit. We see in our history in the New Testament church that the theme of spiritual presence and intoxication came along, alongside of each other. We see that intimacy with God produces a spiritual intoxication. Paul combines this theme in his writings in the book of Ephesians when he said in Ephesians 5 and 8, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There is an overwhelming intoxication that comes when one gets lost in the presence of God. Can I have an amen to that? How many's ever been intoxicated with the presence of God, being lost in the presence of God? We're living in a time when men will not humble themselves to the point of them becoming spiritually intoxicated. To be intoxicated means not only to be drunk, but it means to fall under the influence or the spell of someone else or something else. R.A. Torrey in the early 1900s when there was a great reformation taking place and there was a great revival and people were being transformed and people were being filled with the Holy Ghost and Pentecostalism was a blaze of fire throughout Tennessee and all of those southern places and, and, and at, that, at that time and he said these words he said 
many, each meeting that we attended, there were men that acted as if they were drunk. That was R.A. Torrey. Being intoxicated alters one's mind. Intoxication puts us under the influence and the control of another substance. And this is why that many are refusing spiritual intoxication by the spirit because they don't want to lose control and look silly. Being intoxicated affects your walk, it affects your speech, your thinking, your ability to perform. And can I tell you what we need in the 21st century church is for people once again to fall under the influence and the intoxication of the spirit of the living God. We need to lose control. We need people to give way to the spirit. That's why that First Thessalonians 5 and 19 says, quench not the spirit. That's why Acts 7 and 51 tells us, he tells us to resist not the spirits like your fathers did. That's why that Ephesians 4 and 30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God to whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We need to fall under the intoxication of the spirit once again to where our walk, our talk, our thinking, our performance is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to give way to the spirit. We need to yield to the spirit. We need to surrender to the spirit. We need to submit to the spirit. We need to let the spirit have his way in everything that we do. Can I have an amen? We need to fall under the control and the influence of the Holy Ghost within our lives. What has happened to spiritual intoxication? Many young people have never seen it before. Are we too good for it in the 21st century? Do we feel as though we're too spiritual for it, that we don't need it, that we don't have to have it? Do we think that it's just for a few, just for a few leaders here and there to have a, a great encounter and a move of God upon their lives? God's looking for a whole congregation. God spoke to me, said, I'm looking for another 120 to fall under the influence of the Holy Spirit and become driven and, and, and compelled by the intoxication of the Spirit in order to perform the miraculous for his namesake. He's looking for a group of people that will step up and drink of the spiritual wells of the Spirit as a drunk man would step up and drink at a tavern bar. How long has it been since you've seen someone intoxicated in the presence of God? They couldn't walk right. They've had what we call the Holy Ghost staggers. You know what them are? Haven't you ever seen a man that's bowled over under the burden of the Lord, face down on the ground, walling around like a, like a drunk man? And have you ever seen him try to talk and he can't because he's so burdened and he's weeping and it's slobbers coming out of his nose and, 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 and spits coming out of his mouth? I had an old friend and, and I'd try to get him saved and he'd get drunk and he'd wall around. He couldn't talk right. And his tongue would get thick and he couldn't. I want to tell you, I've seen men in that same condition of the spirit where they couldn't talk, they couldn't walk, and with moanings and groanings, they made utterances that could not be uttered. They were praying the will of God as the burden of the Holy Spirit was upon them. What has happened to those days? Are they not necessary? Are they not important? Are we too embarrassed to allow ourselves to get into that intoxicated state where the Holy Spirit can take full reign and possession of our lives? God help us. How long has it been since you've seen men under the influence of his presence to where they appeared drunk with slobber running out of their mouths and noses and crying and weeping like a baby? How long has it been since you've seen men under the intoxication of the spirit to the point that they had stammering lips and another tongue? And that's what Isaiah 28 and 11, with stammering lips and another tongue, I was speaking to this people. That old Bill Todd, my friend, that was getting drunk and I went down one night and prayed him. You've heard the story where I prayed him out of a, out of a drunken state and he became sober so I could print the, preach the gospel to him.
but he sat there for the longest and he had tried to talk to me. His tongue was so thick. And I tell you, there's been times in my life where I couldn't communicate, I couldn't talk, I couldn't say anything because the heavy anointing upon you. You just sit there and you just weep and lay out and prostrate before the floor. Lord, and roll. The night I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I rolled from one end of the sanctuary to the other, and I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't even know I'd done it. And you know, they used to call us what? Holy rollers. We don't even see that anymore. We don't see the old time shouting, the dancing, and the miracles of people jumping up on the back of the pews and running the back of the chairs. We're not seeing the miracles because we're not allowing ourselves to be intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. Folks, I've been there before and God wants us to return back to a time of spiritual intoxication. I don't think I need to go any farther. One of the first miracles that Jesus done at the wedding of Galilee was that the wine had been depleted and the barrels were empty. And God spoke to me and he said, that's what's wrong with the 21st century church. They once possessed wine, but now they're empty. They've drunk it up, but they've not been refilled with the wine of the Spirit. And the joy was leaving the wedding feast. The joyous occasion began to come into an embarrassment because they had run out of wine. Churches are becoming an embarrassment to the world because they have nothing to offer. There's nothing happening. Their snow's not being saved. Their soul's not being delivered. People are living in the same bondages after salvation as they were before salvation because there's no breakthrough through the power and the anointing of being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're living in a time when people are looking at the church and mocking us because there's very little difference in the way the church people live than the way the world lives. And they're looking at us and they're laughing at us and they're mocking us. We've lost our influence. We've lost our voice. We've lost our respect. We've lost our honor. Come on, somebody help me preach. All because we've lost our wine. We've lost the wine of the Spirit of God. And as a result of it, joy is deplenished. There's no more happiness in the house of God. Used to, when I was a young boy, I've seen whole congregations break out in laughter and just laugh in the Spirit of God, and it was contagious. And you'd sit there and you'd watch them, and then you'd get to laughing, and then you couldn't stop laughing. And that laugh would go on sometimes throughout the whole service, and God would just regenerate you and renew you through the laughter. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. Come on, somebody help me preach. And we're, we're living in a time when we think, that well, that's outdated stuff. When has it become outdated? Has the Bible become outdated? And yet Jesus, when they went to him, he brought joy back to the wedding feast. How did he do it? He said, fill the water pots with water. Get the word back in you. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify it by the washing of the water of the word. In other words, the barrel has ran out of wine and when the wine's gone, it becomes contaminated. You gotta wash the barrel again before the presence can return. And then they begin to wash the barrel. They begin to put the word of God in it. And then when they put the word of God in it and they got the word sanctifying the vessel, guess what the next thing was? That the joy, the wine returned. God turned the water back into wine. And it was there, they said, why did you save the good stuff to the last? 
And I'm here to tell you, though that some churches have lost the wine, God's got a store of the best wine in forest in, the, in our future. All we gotta do is get the word of God in us and let it wash us thoroughly and sanctify us and fill us again with the presence of God and God's got a new wine for the church. Some of the most exciting memories of my life is putting young five, six, seven-year-old boys and girls into a, youth, a bus to go to youth camp. Watching them go up there fighting and fussing and carrying on and she picking on me. And I want to tell you, there were some of them kids, they weren't mine, but I wanted to blister them. All the way up, bickering, fighting, and jealous over this boy liking that girl and that girl liking this boy, and just, just, huh. And you think, I got a week of this. Amen? And you get up there, and you get in your bunks. I don't want this bunk. I want that bunk. I want to, I want to sleep by so-and-so. You're going to sleep where I tell you to sleep, little boy. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And they only see them kids get in their environment where there's no adults, where there's no one looking at them, and they feel comfortable. And they get in their environment, and all of a sudden, they have those services that's geared for them. And they run to that altar. And before Friday night's over, they're laid out in the spirit. They're groaning, they're moaning, they're crying, they're staggering, they're drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're magnifying God. And now the only thing you got is instead of them keeping you all up, not nagging, you're up all night thinking, when's this gonna stop? And they're speaking in tongues. They're weeping in their bunks. They're crying, they're having prayer meetings together. And the ones that were fighting has got their arms around each other, unified. What was that? It's the Spirit of God. Then you put them back in that van and all the way home, they're singing and they're crying. Holy Ghost broke out one time up by Deloge. I had to pull off on the side of the road and have church with them. I was bawling like crazy. And I, this is the honest truth. I was driving. I said, what in the world? Is it raining or something? I said, I can't see. And I come to my senses. It wasn't that the water was hitting the windshield. I was crying so bad I couldn't see. And I pulled over and them little kids, we had church right there in that van. And God moved and they were just speaking in tongues and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. I know that even in our church, we've seen little kids before be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen them give tongues and messages at eight, nine, 10 years old. I've seen it with my own eyes right here in our church. I've seen them dance down the aisle. But I want to tell you that's becoming more, less, and less, and less because we're trying to adapt to a culture. We don't want to offend anybody. And us adults are leading our youth on what and how to have church. And it's time that if we want to be have spirited children, we've got to be spiritual adults. I want you to stand with me this morning. How many is hungry for the presence of God? Are you hungry? I want you to do me a favor, those that are hungry, and I'm not begging, pleading, and having a long altar call. If you're hungry, I just want you to come up here and stand. If you're just hungry for the presence of God, 
The last time I checked, I'm not out to oppress the evangelical church anyway. I'm out not to try to steal saints, nor am I out to try to get other church members into the body of Christ. I'm here to win the world. And the world's starving for something real. And those that's lethargic may or may not want Pentecost. That's okay. Let them have church the way that they want. But we don't have to tone down our services trying to impress somebody so that we won't offend them so that they might come to our church. Is I got anybody with me on this? If there's wildfire, we'll deal with it. If there's something that's out of control, we won't embarrass people. We'll pull them off to the side and we'll teach them. We'll train them. A lot of times, overzealous is just people wanting to do, wanting to do right. They're not mean bad people. They just need to be taught and discipled. Amen. There's room for error at the palace of praise. I give you room for error. I give you room to make a mistake. And if it continues, we'll just let, that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you try the spirits to see whether they be of God or not. Can I have an amen? I give you permission today to allow the Holy Spirit to intoxicate you. Hey guys, I give you permission to drink today. Not alcohol, but to drink of the Spirit. I just want you to start loving the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be a candidate of everything you've got for me. I want to revisit my passion. I want you to revisit my passion. I want you to change me. I want you to set me on fire. At whatever expense, at whatever I need, ever how I need to yield, whatever you got to break, ever how you got to do it, I'm willing to ha- let it happen. If you want me to fall out in the floor, I'll fall out on the floor. If you want me to stand here and be quiet, I'll stand here and be quiet. If you want me to shout, I'll shout. Move upon me, Holy Spirit. Give me an experience that will forever change my life. Give me an encounter of your presence that will, God, mark a place and time in my life that I can go back to and draw strength knowing that you are God. Right now, come on, enter into the spirit in Jesus' name. We wait for you. Oh, yeah. Here he is. We wait for you. We wait for you. To walk in the
Your presence can't get enough of your presence. 